0: Want to go ahead and read the thing?
1: So, we all know the way that an emperor, especially an emperor in the times of the old dynastic rulership emperors, uh, becomes an emperor, right? The oldest child, usually the oldest son of the previous emperor, takes the throne when his father dies. Sometimes there's a civil war or a purge of other family members when the line of succession isn't quite so clear, but that's how it was done. Well short of overthrowing the previous dynasty and establishing one of your own. Liu Bang was not the son of an emperor. In fact, his family were peasants. He was not a firstborn son. He had an older brother, and he was also somebody put into an impossible position who rose from these humble upbringings to become one of the most respected emperors of China's long history and found a dynasty that would reign for over 400 years. And how he got there? Well, he had a really bad day. On this episode of Relative Disasters, Liu Bang and the Founding of the Han Dynasty. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Greg, your host for this episode.
0: And I'm his sister Ella, your co-host.
1: Now, as always, when we're talking about someone from relative antiquity, Mm -hmm. uh, this episode mostly focuses on the 200s BCE. Nobody can state with certainty the exact facts around a life from over 2,000 years ago. That said, our primary source for this episode is the fascinating Records of the Grand Historian, written around 100 to about 90 BCE. Cool. With the understanding that this is a mostly historical, lightly mythologized version of events written well after the deaths of the people involved, let's dive in. All right. Uh, I would also like to apologize to uh, everyone for my pronunciations throughout this episode. Uh, I'm doing my best. Sorry. <laughs> Chinese is hard. It is hard. Especially like...
0: It is a difficult yeah. language. All right. So is English.
1: So, uh, yes, English <laughs> is very hard.
0: All languages.
1: <laughs> well, English is what you get when you throw a bunch of languages into a pot and stir them up for a while. Sure. So... Liu Bang was born sometime in 256 BCE. Uh, His parents are only remembered as Mr. and Mrs. Liu. It's weird to translate because we don't have the proper honorifics, but they are referred to with the honorifics of their day. So they were citizens in good standing. Uh, They weren't, you know, like, oh, that jerk Mr. Liu. It was like, oh, Mr. Liu, my favorite fourth grade teacher or whatever. Okay. So... Their son, Liu Bang, proved to be a bit of a problem child. Uh, He quit school at a young age and bounced from job to job, never really settling on any career. And his errant ways and his lack of money led him into frequent trouble with the local law enforcement. Same. Yeah, I mean, same, bro. (laughs) He was also, however, described as being generous, intelligent, and extremely charismatic. And Mm -hmm. that's really what you want from a... uh, you know, from somebody who's going to grow up to be emperor. Yeah. I can't relate to so, the
0: charismatic part, but. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Uh, so he was referred to as little villain or young rascal. Okay. Uh, by his father. Although those were considered to be affectionate terms. Okay. Uh, but he did spend most of his youth uh, leeching off of his brother for food and money.
0: Mm.
1: Now, at the time in China. The Xin Dynasty was unifying China through conquest. Out of the Warring States period, the Xin had emerged strongest and fought a series of bloody campaigns to subjugate the other states. In 226 BCE, they conquered the state of Tzu, where Liu Bang's family was living. Mm -hmm. By 221, the Xin Dynasty had established itself. The Zin Dynasty was famous for its brutality. They had a lot of laws, and the violation for most of them resulted in a sentence of death. Mm. So these were not, like, they weren't screwing around. This was, this was, it, it was even more than, you know, like, uh, the, the thief who, you know, under medieval law gets his hand chopped off. This is like, no, they just kill the thief. Okay. Um, now, also on top of that... <laughs> The Xin Emperor had survived three assassination attempts.
0: Oh, yeah, that'll do a number on your mental health.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Uh, He had become paranoid Mm -hmm. and obsessed with the idea of immortality. Sure. Uh, so it was probably a big surprise to him when he died in 210 BCE.
0: Was he assassinated?
1: No, he just died. He just died. He he passed away. He got sick and died. Okay. But he had died when he was out on a trip. So really only his prime minister and chief eunuch mm-hmm. knew that he was dead. So they worked together to hide that fact until they could get his youngest of 18 sons Uh, secured as the next emperor over the eldest son, the one who was supposed to be next in line. Their main concern seemed to be that the eldest son would be, one, a strong leader they couldn't manipulate, two, had very competent generals, and three, he didn't like them, and once he ascended to the throne, he was probably going to order their executions. Mm. So... Uh, They forged a document that stated that the emperor, who, remember, nobody else knew was dead yet, had ordered uh, his eldest son, Fusu, and Fusu's chief general uh, to be put to death. Sure. You know, it's the simple ones that work the best, really. Yeah, it's
0: flawless. No notes. (laughs) Uh,
1: well, Well, with that out of the way, the much weaker youngest son became the emperor. And while the originating Zin emperor had been paranoid and quick to enforce laws brutally, uh, the new one somehow managed to be even worse. Hmm. Um, He raised taxes to an unbearable rate, like a literally unbearable rate, like he would tax 102% of a farmer's crops or something. I mean, that's just not
0: sustainable.
1: No, it's not sustainable at all. Uh, as we'll find out in about five seconds here. Uh, <laughs> he forced conscription into his armies mm-hmm. and he, re- he embarked in these ridiculous self-glorification projects. And I know you'll love this one because it must have made everything so shiny. Uh, the one that stuck out to me was uh, Lacquering the City Walls.
0: Ooh, I do like right?
1: that. Very <laughs> glam. Very glam. Very glam, and if you disagreed with him, he'd kill you.
0: No one's gonna disagree with that. That that had to be beautiful. I
1: mean, again, no notes. It's a shiny wall. I'm good. Uh,
0: Probably, probably the other walls were not shiny, Greg. Probably the other walls were not shinier.
1: Was
0: not shiny. Right. I mean. Right. What are we doing here?
1: Why, why do we not have shiny walls? Let's get on this, people. I'm looking at my wall we, right
0: now and thinking about how much better it would look with a good coat of clear we nail We, the polish. members
1: of the wall lacquerification party. All right. We're, we're a simple party. We have, we're have we a one-issue one, one issue voter. One platform. Anyway, one platform. We want all the walls lacquer. Yep. Uh, the other habit that he had was um, if messengers brought him bad news he'd have them executed
0: oh man I hate right that.
1: <laughs> and I wonder if this is literally where the phrase like don't kill the messenger comes from no I think I that, doubt was, it.
0: that was not uncommon
1: <laughs> I know yeah, the Romans did that too. but it's still sure But it's still not great. No, it's a terrible look. Well, with all of these things together, Mm -hmm. and remember that China had just been united very tenuously. Mm -hmm. um, Basically, what had held this united state together was the fear of the previous emperor. Sure. This guy basically was seen as a clown, like a really violent, deadly would kill you clown. But not somebody worthy of your respect.
0: Yeah, the lacquer. So,
1: I, you know,
0: it's a little. Off I kind brand. of
1: would respect the lacquer. It's it was pretty on brand for him. Let's give him that.
0: But that's confusing coming uh, out of the the period of violence and instability.
1: Right. Exactly. It probably they probably just wanted shiny
0: walls. Really unsettled some people.
1: So what happened was this already tenuously united China began to fracture. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because that's what happens. Yep. Local warlords and governors began to declare themselves rulers of their provinces and territories in direct defiance of the imperial seal.
0: Mm.
1: Now, all of this turmoil seems to have affected Liu Bang deeply. He had been friends, and some implications of romantic attachments are present, mm-hmm. with the local magistrate of a neighboring city. And when that magistrate was killed or disappeared, in heavy air quotes, Following the Xin conquest of Tzu, uh, Liu Bang returned home with a newfound sense of purpose. Mm. He had two friends in local governance, and they basically helped him scrub clean his criminal past so that he could take up the post of the chief provincial law enforcer. A position much like a sheriff. Okay, And because I like that term, that's the one I'm going to be using to refer to him. He is now Sheriff Liu Bang. Sure. Sure. Sheriff. Uh, now, as the sheriff, his job was to uphold the strict laws and punishments required by the tzin. Mm-hmm. Also, small sidebar, I got to tell you the story of how he met his wife. Okay. Are
0: we veering into... <laughs> I was not expecting a romance. Go for it.
1: Oh, oh, this story's got it all, kids. Can't wait. So, So after he's appointed sheriff... Liu Bang gets to attend all these because it's a, an official like governmental position. He gets to attend on these governmental dinners mm-hmm. and he gets to know this local, incredibly wealthy family. And he somehow secures himself an invite to one of their very fancy dinners. Now, attending these very fancy dinners means you basically have to pay for the privilege. Like it's like those um, politician dinners where it's like five hundred dollars for a plate of, you know lukewarm spaghetti yeah. kind of things yep. so it's like that uh, in order to have them extend their influence to you you show up and give them a gift and the gift is like usually a thousand gold pieces
0: I have to say I have never thought of charging people to come to my parties but I think it's time
1: right? yeah yeah I, I, it's, that wall lacquer is not going to pay for itself no it's not wall lacquer is expensive uh So he shows up Mm -hmm. with no money, basically charms his way through the front gates, winds up sitting next to the father of the family and basically just charms him as well. He ends the evening with the promise of being married to one of their daughters, despite the fact that he is penniless, showed up to this dinner with no money. The dude talked a good game, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. That is.
0: That is pretty impressive. Wild. I like it.
1: Dude's got game. I'm just saying. Like, that's impressive as hell. He shows up with no money and walks out with a wife. It's, pretty decent work.
0: Charisma. People with charisma are just a different kind of
1: person. It's a different animal. They're much more powerful really than is? the rest of us. Yes. Everybody thinks of charisma as a dump stat, but it is not, my friends. Okay. Anyway. So. He gets on with his career as sheriff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and his wife get married and they have two kids. Uh, they would eventually have four. Mm-hmm. And he serves the law. He had wealth and respect. Uh, respect through his job, wealth through his family. And he seemed fairly content. And then it all falls apart. Oh dear. So we come to this moment here. This this thing that I have termed Liu Bang's bad day. Mm-hmm. So one of his jobs is sheriff... Uh, is to escort prisoners who are being used as labor. So it was a very common practice to have prisoners used as forced labor on these big monument projects, okay? Mm -hmm. And the big monument project that's going on right now is the tomb of the first Zin Emperor is being constructed at Mount Li, which is in the northeast of his province, okay? It's rocky terrain. It's easy to lose people. Uh Uh-oh. And the job is fairly simple. You get the prisoners to the job site, you turn them over to the site's overseer, you go home. The main part of the job is not letting the prisoners escape because, as with most things under Tsin law, letting your prisoners escape is punishable by death. Sure. Well, some prisoners escaped. <laughs> uh oh. Yep. So, Liu Bang has a choice he can turn himself in for execution. Or he can decide to not do that. (laughs) And, you know, he actually goes one step further. He frees the rest of the prisoners. Yeah, you might as well at that
0: point, right?
1: Right? There's no point in, like, delivering half a load. Uh, And he goes from lawman to bandit in the span of one afternoon but the thing is, he's not alone. Again, that charisma comes in. Yeah. Because the prisoners like him so much, they actually felt bad that some of them escaped and put him in this position. Oh, dear. So they make him their leader.
0: Sure. You always <laughs> want the person with the most charisma to be the face of
1: the operation. Absolutely. You <laughs> want that guy talking to the public. That is a smart move. You know, one I isn't as good at talking to the public as Liu Bang, so... Anyway, uh, so he sets up fort in this abandoned mountain um, fortress. Okay. And they they make that their headquarters. And other bandits, mostly escaped prisoners or other people who had been facing execution for such crimes as, quote, looking at the emperor in the afternoon, Mm. end quote. That was a crime. I
0: know not to do that. Come on, guys. I mean...
1: Well, plus, because all the sunshine would glare off the lacquer and it would be.
0: You hurt yourself. Yeah. Just,
1: just bad. He's all doing around. it for your own protection. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so all of these people flock to him. And before long, Liu Bang turns around and he's got an army, a legitimate army. Sure. Now, as we said before, rebellions were breaking out all over the Tsin Empire. And Liu Bang essentially thought, well, why not? Sure. Uh, The current uprising was the Dazhejiang uprising, and it was gaining steam in the surrounding territories. And uh, the local magistrate had decided to throw in his lot against the tzin and asked Liu Bang to join him. However, it was a trap. No way. The magistrate's intent was to lure him and his men out of the fort and have the lot of them executed.
0: Bam, people there's so much execution in this story. There is a lot of execution. Is there any other punishment? Or is it just that's I it. feel
1: like it's just like it's just, you know, oh, you dropped my egg, execution. I feel like people were just getting their heads cut off left, right, and center. It's or so it could have been like um the uh, the the thing where the guy goes off like, out of the room, pretends to be executed, and then comes back as his own twin brother. Sure. Maybe they were running a con on him. I don't know.
0: Just just a lot. Probably of, not. A lot. That's a lot.
1: There's a lot of execution. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So instead of falling for that genius plan, uh, Liu Bang delivers messages to the local peasants and the farm leaders. Now, he delivered those messages by arrow because he was, you know... Going for cool style points here. Sure. Uh, you'd wrap the message around the arrow, fire the arrow into the fields, and the farmers would retrieve it, unwrap it, read the message. And because, again, they liked Liu Bang, uh, the peasants and farmers staged their own mini uprising, killing the magistrate and his men and opening the city gates for Liu Bang, declaring him the lord of their region. Sure. So people continue to flock to him. It's
0: the charisma.
1: It's absolutely the charisma. And he he's smart. He's smarter than your average warlord here because he not only keeps growing his army, he keeps growing his supplies mm. because he actually noticed and cared about logistics. Uh, and when the last push of the by now joined up rebel groups towards the Xin capital of Xiangyang occurred... Uh, Liu Bang's army was the first to reach the city. Cool. Now, at this point, Crazy Emperor Number 2 had been assassinated, and the last Xin Emperor, ji Xi Ying, who seemed like a fairly reasonable person, uh, surrendered the city without a fight.
0: Okay. So
1: Liu Bang moves to occupy the imperial city, and he issues several important edicts to his army. One, His men were not allowed to loot or mistreat the city's population in any way. They were unifying China, not occupying enemy territory. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two, all of these strict zine punishments, with the exceptions of murder, thieving, and sexual assault, are done away with. Okay. And three, he ordered that the the previous government's documents be preserved and held in the imperial palace. Hmm. That is an interesting choice right now the reason that that's important because it helps preserve continuity so if you know people had done a job for the previous emperor and hadn't gotten paid yet they could get paid Mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a nice idea um order in fact was restored so quickly to the city that when the next rebel army arrived led by general zhang yu uh, he nearly attacked, concerned that Liu Bang had been bought off by the Qin Emperor. Instead, uh, the victorious allies held a great feast. Nice. At which Zhang Yu decided uh, would be the perfect opportunity to assassinate Liu Bang and take over for oh, himself. Oh, man. Here we you are. More executions, more assassinations.
0: Come on, dude. I know. It's so rude. Like,
1: everybody's happy. Uh, it's 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 very poor guest behavior mm-hmm. at the very least uh what's neat about this is that uh zhang yu's own generals like prevented the assassinations um <laughs> one one general would move to kill him and the other would move to intercept and lu bang was just like Ever- is everybody having a good time everybody's good okay uh after the party was over he dutifully turned over the city to zhang yu as the over commander of the mm-hmm. armies and he led his army homeward pretty much unaware that an assassination plot or several, uh, had been carried out and stymied. <laughs> <laughs> so now Liu Bang is headed home. Xiang Yu has established himself as the, uh, uh, over leader. So the leader above leaders of Western Chu. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, He's not calling himself emperor. He's just kind of being like, "I'm in charge of all of you guys." <laughs> okay. And everything seems peaceful-ish. Mm-hmm. Then Zhang Yu decides to burn the city of yang down to the ground oh, come on. and split up the unified empire of the Qin into eighteen provinces.
0: Just not cool.
1: It gets more uncool. He gives the most fertile and prosperous territories to his favored generals, mm-hmm. and he gives Liu Bang a pile of rocks. Uh, he basically forces him into semi-exile in the isolated Bashu region, a place that had literally been used for exiling prisoners. Okay. The uh, The significance was not lost on Liu Bang. Hmm. I think at this point he, he figured out that they were not friends. It was very uh, hurtful.
0: I would be offended, it, too.
1: It is hurtful. It's like, you know, uh, we've just won. I'm giving you these gorgeous farmlands. I'm giving you this rock.
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: was it lacquered? And it's not even a nice rock. It's like a crap rock. Bummer. can't grow anything. Anyway. uh, So exiled in all but name, his troops start deserting in droves.
0: Mm.
1: But again, charisma. So Liu Bang is not too proud to beg. Uh, He pleads with his military advisors and tacticians to stay with him. And that sheer force of personality thing wins out again. Which is good, because one of his advisors, who was on the verge of deserting, was a young man named Han Xin. Mm-hmm. With one foot out the door, Han Xin uh, presents Liu Bang with a military plan. Now he expected to be furiously rejected for disloyalty, so he goes all out. Right? He's like, if I'm gonna be if I'm gonna be kicked out and exiled and maybe even executed, I'm just gonna say what I think. Sure. And he yeah. lays out a military plan to Liu Bang to conquer. The entirety of China.
0: Go big or go home, right?
1: Liu Bang looks it over and he appoints the young strategist as the supreme commander of his army. The Chu Han War had begun. So they just got through fighting this big rebellion against the empire. And now the rebellion fractures and they're fighting each other. So, Zheng Yu's heavy-handed way of handing out governorships and his blatant favoritism had resulted in a lot of bad blood, and Liu Bang knew it would just be a matter of time before another rebellion broke out. He re-recruited most of his men, and he waited. In 206 BCE, his chance came, and he put Han Jin's plan into motion— so, a rebellion broke out in one of the northeastern provinces, mm-hmm. and Zhang Yu brought out his army to put it down. Now, as soon as his army began to move, Liu Bang weaponized the distaste and distrust that Zhang Yu had for him and ordered his army to go out on what they would call today routine training maneuvers uh, <laughs> on the roads near his borders. Okay. So this bait works, and Jiang Yu, who's marching his main army up to the northeast, dispatches his home army to put down this other suspected rebellion. <laughs> when that army arrive, they find uh, Liu Bang and a few soldiers marching around and a lot of farmers doing what they could do with the rocky ground. Confused, they turn around and head back to the imperial city and and find that Han Jin had led the bulk of Liu Bang's army directly there. Oops. And the fractured Zhang Yu's armies were forced to surrender. And now Liu Bang had control of the imperial city and the beginnings of an empire. All right. Yeah. So we're, we're off now. However, Zhang Yu is, one, not stupid. He has a very, very, very good advisor who is one of the greatest military geniuses of their time, and two, he's absolutely willing to do just about anything to hold on to power, so... Kind of a
0: theme here, isn't it?
1: There, There is that sort of theme throughout much of history, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs>
0: it's all coming together now.
1: So he splits his army. Mm-hmm. He sends half of them towards the city of Pengcheng, which uh, Liu Bang's forces have just taken. Mm-hmm. And he sends the other half towards Liu Bang's home province with the intention to ransom or execute his family. Yikes. Okay. So, Liu Bang um, gets the snot kicked out of him at Pengcheng, and Zhang Yu's forces nearly catch Liu Bang and his family, and what remains of his army has, is forced to retreat to the coast. Hmm. So they rebuild and battles go back and forth for a few years with neither side able to gain a clear advantage. Finally, uh, a few too many tactical missteps caught up to Zhang Yu and uh, Liu Bang employs that charisma and deception again Mm -hmm. to help seal the deal. So... He pays peasants to spread rumors that Zheng yus chief advisor, the one who was like brilliant and overseeing the military victories, mm-hmm. uh, was secretly disloyal. Ooh. And uh, the rumors catch on and Zheng yu dismisses the advisor. He didn't execute him, though. He just dismissed him. So
0: and does he now that he is out of a job, does he go work for someone else?
1: He does not come work for Liu Bang. The oh, offer was bummer. made, but he, he refused. I know, it would have been I so really cool. I really wanted
0: that to work out. Okay.
1: Liu Bang's forces were able to trap and besiege Zhang Yu's entire army in a single city. Mm-hmm. And here comes the other great, like, deception moment. Okay. Uh, he, Liu Bang ordered his troops to sing zu folk songs mm-hmm. to make Zhang Yu's troops believe that their homeland had fallen to his armies and had joined him. And so Zhang Yu's troops begin deserting in droves. I like that. It's good, right?
0: Yeah, that is is a solid strategy.
1: Uh, Just a bunch of singing and you lose half your army. I love it. Uh, Finally, with food and morale running out, (laughs) Zhang Yu attempts to break through the siege lines. And he is finally cornered and killed on the northern bank of the Wu River. And with that... This born-to-peasants former sheriff was declared emperor by consensus of his subjects. Uh, The official history states that he himself was reluctant, but he knew that it would lead to more infighting, particularly between his own generals, if he refused the throne.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, He names his dynasty Han, establishes his wife as empress and their eldest son as crown prince. He rewards his generals with land and titles. And then he set about reworking the laws of the land. First thing he did was disbanded his armies. And he stated that any former soldier who remained in the capital city or returned to their home would be exempt from taxes or forced labor for 12 years. Wow. Right? I like that. That is generous. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also essentially invents the pension fund for his soldiers. Nice. um, Ensuring that they would not have to turn to a life of banditry to make ends meet. Very good choice. And it's also a good foresight, too, because they're not going to rise up against you if you're paying them not to, right? Most of them are. not Some might. He reduces the amount of taxation on the peasantry. And... He reduced the amount of agricultural production taxation, so like the literal portion of your crops that you have to give to the emperor, mm-hmm. uh, to a 15th of what it had been under the tzim.
0: So we were at over 100%.
1: We were at basically 100 plus percent, yeah.
0: Oh, 15% probably felt really good. Which
1: allowed the farmers to feed themselves.
0: What? Right? How come they weren't eating before? <laughs>
1: grass is nutritious and it grows very quickly i don't see the problem (laughs) actually there's no nutrition in grass Uh, if you eat grass you will starve to death so well the farmers could feed themselves and make a small profit off their work Mm -hmm. so the working people are happy the soldiers are happy Mm -hmm. uh his governance is fairly benevolent and uh the other great thing he did this is this one is subjectively great but i like it for his story Okay. So he met with the scholar Lu Gu, who was a proponent of Confucianism Mm -hmm. and had written a book on the merits of governing through moral virtue rather than harsh systems of punishing laws, which had been, to be fair, the standard up to that point. Mm -hmm. Now, despite being scornful of Confucianism in his youth... This scholar actually changed Liu Bang's mind, and Confucianism flourished during his reign, eventually replacing the philosophy of legalism that had been upheld during the Qin dynasty. Mm -hmm. And the positive changes from that are that these laws were not seen as an emperor's whims. They were seen as a promise from an emperor to his people. And that's kind of a new and different idea
0: that's very cool
1: the the idea of an emperor having sort of this almost familial responsibility mm-hmm. for the people whose literal lives he oversees it, it's just a neat idea.
0: so we're not chopping people's heads off for bringing bad news as much
1: as okay. much no. No, great. No word, however, on any lacquer projects. Uh, so, if there is a big hole in his, you know, resume, I'm just saying we'd we'd have questions about the lacquer.
0: Yeah, I mean, so nobody can really do everything. <laughs> it's good that he has. Is some there good such a thing as too much lacquer? No, absolutely not.
1: All right, all right.
0: Anyone who tells you that is is lying.
1: Is <laughs> in the anti-lacquer party. That's what they are. So, uh, so he reigned as emperor until 195 BCE. Mm-hmm. After his death, he was succeeded by his son, Liu Yang. And much longer after his death, he was awarded the honorific by which he is usually referred to today, Gao which means High Founder. Nice. So that is the story of the peasant who became an emperor. And of the man who had such a bad day that the only way to recover was to overthrow an empire, Zhu of Han, Liu Bang, founder of the Han Dynasty. Very cool. It is a neat story. I'm I'm really glad. That, like I'd kind of known about this guy in the back of my head for a couple of years, but I'm really glad that uh, I I was able to dive into it. It it's a really really interesting story. There's there's a lot of betrayals. There's a lot of executions. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's a really neat story.
0: Yeah, I liked it. That was that was like a it was a mini series.
1: <laughs> yeah, it I know, everything. right? And then what happens after this is like the Three Kingdoms period. Mm-hmm. So it's even more like soap opera drama. It's great. I love it. Very cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah,
0: that's an amazing story.
1: So so we do have some housekeeping this week. In particular, we have gotten some mixed feedback with regards to our Burrito episode, and I wanted to uh, take a moment to address some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I-, I would like to thank uh, the folks who wrote in on both sides of this. Um, it's, I think we here at Relative Disaster view critique as like fuel to get better at something, Sure. and that's important. Um I particularly want to thank the person who wrote in to say that uh it was a nice change of pace. <laughs> I was like, yeah. It's it's a weird it's a weird little episode.
0: It's true, we have never done a a burrito episode. Uh, we have before. never
1: done a food frozen foods based burrito disaster before. Uh although I'm sure some of you out there have. Uh but I would like to address the people who wrote in with their concerns regarding Uh, Sort of the main figure in that, uh, the cartoonist Scott Adams. Uh, As we stated in the episode, our intention is not to provide a platform for him, uh, for his views, for the pretty awful things that he's decided he needs to say about people uh, these days. And I completely get it if any, you know even the slightest association with him makes you not want to listen to the episode. That's I get it. Um, But it is, you know, it's, it's an interesting story. You know, I, I hope that nobody out there felt we were doing any of the people that he has wronged a disservice by covering this story.
0: We talk about a lot of really
1: awful people. We do, but very few of them are still around and,
0: our intention is never to glorify them or make them sound like they have a reasonable point of view. I think um, we do, we do tend to bring a more nuanced, more balanced picture just because we have our own biases and we're always trying to think those through in a more neutral way uh, when we, when we catch them, which of course we don't always do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the the episode is really about the frozen burrito. <laughs> I yeah, don't, I yeah, don't it really we're, is. Where, uh, yeah, it's just a weird story.
1: It is, and I I think my own position on this was actually summed up rather nicely by one of the people who wrote in, where she said, uh, "I was upset that you were giving any voice to Scott Adams, but then I realized that you were just pointing out a ridiculous thing he did." And I was like, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. That's all. That's all I've got for housekeeping this week. Um, no, no glaring factual errors that we need to correct. Uh, at least that our lovely listeners have told us about. Um, oh, I would like to point out that, uh, uh Paul actually did catch us on a slight mistake. Oh. uh, Obviously the relative disasters burrito would be made out of water hyacinths and hippo meat.
0: Uh that's Lake Cow, Greg. <laughs> if it's raised in America, it's Lake Cow, it's not hippo. Right. But right. Otherwise, so Paul, actually
1: perfect. you made that mistake, sir. Anyway. <laughs>
0: Back at you. <ya. laughs> Here at Relative Disasters, we do fact check our stories in an effort to bring you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, as always, please let us know.
1: Well, you can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com, or if you'd like to share some insights we missed or just shame us publicly.
0: Please, we love it.
1: Why not use our Instagram at relative.disasters? We'd also like to say a big thank you to our patrons who support us at Relative Disasters Podcast on Patreon. You
0: guys are the best.
1: This week's episode was brought to you by Bernadette. Bernadette. Imperial historian for Relative Disasteria. Nice. And Tasha. Tasha. Our chief sheriff and constable of the watch. Thanks to both of you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and imperial event from history.
0: Imperial? (laughs) It's Empire (laughs) Month.
1: It is Empire Month. Uh, My sister has selected our next disaster. Lay it out for us, Ella.
0: Okay, well, this is part two. Of uh, Of
1: terrible Romans.
0: (laughs) The two worst Roman emperors of all time. could not pick which one was worse. Uh, I think actually Emperor Nero was a little bit worse than Emperor Caligula. And I'm going to tell you why next week.